All right, so the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, we'll be taking a look at verses 30 down to verse number 41. And I've entitled this message, Greatness Through Humility. Greatness Through Humility. Let's read verse 30. The Bible says, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace. For by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, and receiveth uh, not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which will do a miracle in my name that can speak lightly, or that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, Verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to be able to gather around your word once again. Father, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Father. We pray that the Spirit of God would just have free reign within our lives. God, we pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, just do a mighty work within hearts and within, Lord, just, Lord, each person that is here. <coughs> Father, we do pray, Lord, that you would just bless and be with the preaching of your word. God, I pray you would just give me strength and, Lord, just uh, clarity in my thoughts and my words this morning. Help my voice this morning as it is still not fully recovered yet. Uh, God, I pray you give me strength, Lord, this morning. And, Lord, Lord, I do pray that the Spirit of God would just, uh, Lord, just use me, Father, as your vessel. But I pray, God, that you would be honored and glorified this morning. Lord, just to have your will and way, I pray, in this uh, preaching part of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a couple of things in introduction I just want to point out just to kind of set the context uh, with a passage this morning. And uh, one of those things I want to point out is the fact that over the past couple of weeks, we have seen a shift in the ministry of Christ. Uh, the shift has been, again, a, a, where Christ has turned um, his focus away from the crowds. Again, Christ is still going to minister to people uh, beyond his disciples. But for the most part, again, his public ministry to the crowds is all but over. At this point in his ministry, Jesus uh, is nearing the end, and that is why he is warning his disciples. He is reminding them of what is going to transpire in his life. He is reminding them of the death that he must die. He is reminding them of the suffering that he must undergo. Again, the shadow is beginning to loom over the life of Jesus Christ at this point, and because of that, he, he, he focuses in on the training of the twelve. The training of these men, these very common, ordinary men, 
who served a great and marvelous God. Jesus was, was preparing them. He was training them. He was equipping them. He was teaching them for what was to come. Because the day would come when their master would leave. The day would come when Jesus would ascend back to the right hand of the throne of God. And they would be left on their own. God would send the Spirit of God. The Comforter would come, empower the church, empower these disciples. But at the same time, again, there were lessons that they needed to learn if they were going to successfully carry on the work of Christ and lay the foundation for the church. We see here these disciples, their, their faith was a genuine faith, yet their faith was still weak. We see here that the disciples, their, their spiritual perception was still dim. Their spiritual power was still lacking. Their spiritual understanding of God's will was still limited. There were many deficiencies in the lives of the disciples that needed to be remedied before they were left on their own to do the work of Christ. To do the work of the ministry. And therefore, Jesus, their master, takes the time to pour into them these truths of his word, these very foundational truths, to prepare them for what is to come. We saw one of those truths last week, and uh, Jesus emphasized the importance of faith in prayer. Faith in prayer in the life of the disciples. And Jesus made it clear that unless we are people of prayer... Our service to God will be impotent. Our service to God will be powerless unless we are people of prayer. Unless we plead with God. Unless we come before the throne of his grace. And ask for his grace and his mercy and his power to help us in time of need. And this week we come before uh, verse 30 down to verse number 41. And Jesus here teaches the disciples another very important foundational lesson. And this lesson is on the topic of humility. Humility. Jesus makes it clear that true greatness is not measured the same way, or I should say true greatness in God's kingdom is not measured the same way that the kingdoms of this world measure greatness. You know, the men of this world, they measure greatness by how many possessions you have. They measure greatness by your position in life. They measure greatness by how popular you are. They, they measure greatness by all these external standards that once you depart out of this life aren't going to matter at all. But Jesus makes it clear that true greatness in his kingdom is measured completely different than the way that this world measures greatness. The world looks to power and prestige and, and, and possessions to measure how great a person is. But Jesus says that it's not how it works in my kingdom. In my kingdom, true greatness is measured not by power and position, but by humility. And by selfless, selfless acts of service. Take a look at verse number 35 in our passage. And we find here Jesus uh, lays down this very foundational truth to the disciples. Take a look at the words of Christ here in verse 35. Jesus says, if any man desire to be first, you want to be the greatest? Here it is. Here's the key. The same shall be last of all and servant of all. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Make yourself last of all. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Make yourself a servant to all. That is how you become great in God's kingdom. 
in God's economy, in God's estimation, is by making yourself a servant. And as we're going to see, the disciples needed to hear this message because the disciples were having a conversation amongst themselves that they thought Jesus knew nothing about. And they were talking amongst themselves about who should be the greatest. But their idea of greatness was not in how humble can we be. Their idea of greatness was, uh, again, uh, what position can we have in God's kingdom? That was their idea of greatness. Power and prominence was their measuring stick for greatness. You know, but it's not only these disciples, it's also modern day disciples. We also need to be reminded of this lesson today because we're the same people as these disciples. We have the same nature as these disciples. So often, you know, we, we find ourselves measuring greatness the way that the world measures greatness. And you know what the motivating factor behind that is? It's pride. It, it is pride. Consider this quote again. I, I came across this this past week, and I want to share this with you. One, the Bible commentator makes a very wise observation regarding pride and humility. And here's what he says. He says, humility is not considered a virtue in our proud, self-centered, egotistical culture, nor was it in the pagan world of Jesus's day. For example, Aristotle, one of the most influential philosophers of the ancient world, described pride as the crown of virtues. Right? So Aristotle thought, again, it's a, it's a virtue to be proud. So much for this humble stuff. You know, that's just, there's nothing virtuous about that. Continue on with the quote here. It says, every fallen human heart is a relentless worshiper of itself. Fallen human nature is dominated by pride. But then he goes on and get this application he makes. He says, but in a bizarre twist, our society diagnoses the cause of people's problems as a lack of pride or self-esteem. Such is not the case, however. No one lacks self-esteem. Everyone is consumed with himself or herself to one degree or another. To diagnose the cause of all human ills as a lack of self-esteem leads people to be even more prideful than they already are. Although humility is alien to fallen human nature, it is foundational to the Christian life. You see, our problem isn't, again, we... we, we are too proud. You know, we, we uh, lack humility. Again, that's not our problem. Our problem is, again, we are prideful by nature. We are self-centered by nature. We are egotistical by nature. We are worshipers of ourselves, if we're truly honest with ourselves. Yeah, but that's something that the Bible makes clear must be rooted out of the Christian life. Again, where self is not on top anymore, but self is down here at the bottom. And Christ is first, and then others, and then self, who becomes a servant to all, who lays himself as a doormat before others, you know, as a servant to those around him. Let's continue on. Uh, let's take a look at the first uh, couple of verses here, verses 30 through 32. And if you're taking notes this morning, the first point I want to share with you is the supreme example of humility. The supreme example of humility. Take a look at verses 30 through 32. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. 
For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. So we see here Jesus is traveling with the disciples. And the Bible says here in verse 30, it says they passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. Now, if you remember back a couple of chapters, Jesus spent much time in Galilee. This was really the primary place of his public ministry. Jesus went elsewhere, yes. But again, he spent the bulk of his time in the region of Galilee. Galilee had received teaching. Galilee had seen miracles. Galilee had been given great light and mercy from God. But for the most part, the people of Galilee responded to Jesus the way that the multitudes did. They rejected him. Oh, yes, they saw him as a good teacher or they saw him as, you know, another prophet of God like Elijah or like John the Baptist, for example. But beyond that, again, they, they did not bow before him as Lord and Savior. They did not receive him as their Messiah. And because of the great light Galilee had received, notice here that Jesus and the disciples, they, they passed through Galilee. Again, incognito. Again, undercover, they don't want anyone to know that they're passing through Galilee. Why? Because Galilee had been given light. They had rejected that light, and therefore they had forfeited, forfeited even more light from the Son of God. But as Jesus here is traveling through Galilee, he reminds his disciples. And you'll find that as we get nearer to the cross, Jesus begins uh, intentionally teaching his disciples, reminding his disciples of what is to come. Remember, their mind is on the kingdom, but Jesus continues to remind them that the kingdom isn't first. Glory isn't first. Suffering comes before glory. The son of God, the Messiah, he must suffer. He must die. He must be betrayed. He must go to the cross. He must rise again. This is all part of God's plan. And this, this is not God's plan B. No, this is God's plan A for the redemption of mankind. And Jesus says in verse 31, notice here, it says, The Son of Man is delivered to the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But take a look at verse 32. The Bible says that these disciples still understood not that saying and were afraid to ask. All right, so their, their understanding of God's will was still very limited. These disciples had a lot of room to grow. They still didn't understand, what are you talking about, Jesus? What is, what is this cross? I mean, what is this suffering? What is this betrayal you're talking about? Why? Why can't we just inaugurate the kingdom right, right now and right here? Their mind is on that, but Jesus makes it clear. The Son of Man, delivered to the hands of men, speaking of his betrayal, he shall be killed, but then he shall rise again, the third day. And maybe you caught it here too. The Bible says they were afraid to ask him. All right, so they, they, they probably didn't want to answer incorrectly like Peter did the first time Jesus revealed this to them, where Jesus ended up rebuking Peter uh, because of his wrong response. So they didn't even ask him what he, was, what he was talking about. They still didn't understand the purpose for which he came into the world. But Jesus here is once again reminding his disciples, I have come into the world to die. I have come into the world to seek and to save the lost. I have come into the world to lay my life down so that you may live. That was the purpose of my coming. 
That is the purpose of my first coming into the world. And we see here in the death of Jesus Christ, is we see Jesus reminding his disciples, we see the shadow looming over the ministry of Christ at the stage of his ministry. And we see here Jesus reminds them of what is to come. And as we look forward to that day when Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross, we're reminded and we're given a picture here of the greatest example of humility ever seen by mankind. The fact that God himself, the creator of all things, the sovereign one of the universe, would condescend to us, would take on human flesh, would live through this world, would live his life in this world, and would die and go to the cross. Not for his sins, for he never committed any. He was the sinless son of God. But going to the cross to bear our sins and the sins of the world upon himself. In what love, what condescension, what humility for God the creator to step into human existence, to take on a human body, to go to the cross as our representative, as our substitute, and to bear the wrath of God against sin that you and I deserve because of our sin. Jesus took it upon himself. Jesus embraced the wrath that we deserved upon himself so we could be saved. Philippians 2, 7 through 8, the Bible says regarding Jesus here, it says he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You want to see what a true servant looks like? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see true humility? Look at the cross of Christ. See what God did for us so that we could be redeemed, so we could be reconciled, so that we could be brought near to our maker. Let's continue on, though. Our second point this morning is the Savior's instruction on humility. So Jesus here uses this as a springboard to teach his disciples a lesson on humility. Now, this was timely for the disciples. Why? Because the disciples are talking about greatness in the sense of worldly greatness, the way the world would measure greatness, prominence, and position. Take a look at verse 33 and 34. The Bible says, And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? Verse 34 says here, but they, that's the disciples, held their peace. All right, so Jesus uh, brings the disciples into the house, and he, he uh, brings this question before them. What were you talking about amongst the way? Now, Jesus knew what they were talking about. He's simply asking to draw it out of them, but notice here they didn't answer him a word. All right, they, they kept silent. Why? Probably because they're embarrassed. Probably because they're embarrassed because they're talking about something they shouldn't be talking about. Right, they're talking about something that Christ doesn't want them to focus on, and that is greatness in, 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 in uh, the way that the world views it. But take a look at verse 34 again. The Bible says, But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Now this is interesting, because you compare what the disciples were talking about with what Jesus was just talking about, and you see the contrast between the two. Jesus here was talking about his great humiliation in the sense that he was going to be betrayed. He was going to die upon the cross. 
he was going to rise again. Whereas the disciples are talking about not their, not humbly serving Christ, but they're talking about their exaltation. You know, what can we get out of this kingdom thing? You know, what, what position can we have in God's kingdom? And so they're talking about their exaltation. Jesus is talking about his humiliation. And Jesus here knows what they were talking about. Again, they, they, they were talking about who could be or who would be, who is the greatest amongst themselves. We see that here in verse number 34. They disputed amongst themselves who should be the greatest. And we're, if we're not careful, then we'll find ourselves doing the same thing. You know, we have the same sinful nature as these disciples. You know, we, we have that same inherent pride as these disciples here. And so often, although we may not openly admit it or say it out loud, again, we, we have this inward desire to be great and to be seen and to be well-known and for everybody to, uh, to, to ooh and all about us, for everybody to watch us. And again, we, we want the highest position and we want the popularity and we want the prominence. And again, we're seeking after these things. And like I said, whether we would admit it or not, it's within us. It is within the heart of every single person. There is a inward desire to be recognized and to be praised, to be the greatest and to be the best. But what does this type of attitude come from? Call it like it is. It comes from a heart of pride. Can somebody who is seeking to be the greatest or seeking to you know, have some, again, high up position or have power and control, what is it that's motivating that? It's pride. Take a look at verse 35. The Bible says, and he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them. Notice here, here's this truth they need to get into their minds. If any man desire to be first, okay, you want to be the greatest, here, here's how you do it. The same shall be last of all and servant of all. So Jesus here gives this world-shaking, this earth-shattering, this life-changing truth to the disciples. They think greatness, yeah, position, power, prominence. But Jesus says, no, you want greatness in my kingdom? Lower yourself. Don't, don't try to push yourself to the top. No, gladly take, take your spot at the bottom. Become last of all. Become servant of all. Don't jockey for power and prominence and position. No, make yourself low. Make yourself a servant of all. Forget self-glory. Forget self-praise. Forget self-promotion. Jesus says in my kingdom, the way up is the way down. He takes the values of the world and he turns them on their head. The world says, yes, power, prestige, position. Again, yes, that makes you great. Jesus says, no, I flip it around. You become last of all. Wash them disciples' feet. Become a servant. You can take the low position. Become a servant to others. That is how you become great in my kingdom. That is how you become great in my estimation. The word servant here comes from uh, the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon. And what one word summarizes the responsibility of a deacon? It's service. A deacon is a servant. There's, There's no ruling authority in the position of a deacon. A deacon is one who says, I'm willing to take the lowest spot in the church. I am willing to go and and shovel that person's uh, sidewalk and then rake that person's leaves and bring this person a meal and and, and do this and that around the church. That's what a deacon is. 
A deacon says, I'm willing to become a servant to the church. I'm willing to take the lowest spot. I am willing to serve others. And Jesus says, can you take that spot? You're the greatest in my kingdom. You take that low position, and the world may not, the world may not see it. They may not recognize it, but you are exalted in my kingdom because you've humbled yourself. Because you have learned the path of true discipleship. Because you have exchanged the self-life for the Christ life. The life of service. The life of humility. The life of serving others. So Jesus says here, you want to be great? Put yourself last. Put yourself at the bottom. Become a servant. Die to self. Die to your own reputation. Die to self-praise. Die to self-promotion. Now pick up a broom, wash the dishes, vacuum the floor, bring a meal to somebody in need, you know, fix somebody's car, and you know, do this or that. Find ways to serve others. That is greatness in God's eyes. That is greatness in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Invest your life in serving others, not trying to get some position or try to get to the top and, and pushing everybody out of the way. I'll say again, forget about that. Let the world do all that. Can they do enough of that? I'm willing to take the low spot. And I'm willing to serve others. I'm willing to pick up a broom. I'm willing to, I'm willing to cook some food. I'm willing to do this and that. And I'm willing to be a blessing to others. I read this past week about the fact that in ancient China, um, a symbol of status amongst, amongst men in ancient China, China uh, was seen in, 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 uh, in, in, in lengthened nails. Again, they would grow their nails long, their fingernails. And the reason why they would do this, it was, it was a symbol to those around them that they were not, they were not peasants. Again, they were not part of the common laboring group of people. No, they were living a life of luxury. And they would grow their fingernails because, again, it showed people around them that they didn't have to work. They didn't have to serve anyone. Any needs they had, again, others met those needs. Like if they wanted some food, they had a servant to bring them food. If they wanted some water, they had a servant to bring them water. If they needed this or that, they had servants all around them to bring them anything they needed. They didn't have to do anything for themselves. And to them, it was a badge of pride. But in Christ's kingdom, Christ makes it clear, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Right, true greatness is not seen in how many people serve me. True greatness is seen in how many people have you served. As you look back upon this past year, how many people have you served in the name of Jesus Christ? The world says you want to be great. Be number one. Push yourself to the top. Put yourself first. Look out for yourself. Jesus says you want to be great. Die to self. Take up your cross. Become a servant. And selflessly serve those around you. Put yourself at the bottom. Put yourself last. Forget about your name. Forget about your reputation. Live a life of selfless service. Jesus says that is true greatness in my kingdom. Let's continue on, though. We see here a salient illustration of humility in verses 36 through 37. Notice what Jesus does here for his disciples. The Bible says, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one, one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me and receiveth, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. 
So Jesus here, to uh, further illustrate what he is saying, again, he takes a, a child from the midst. Uh, from the midst. He, sets them, uh, he sets them in the midst of the disciples in order to teach the disciples a lesson, on, a lesson on humility through the example of a child. Now, why would Jesus choose a child to bring into the midst of the disciples? Well, in Bible times, children were often overlooked. The children were often ignored. I mean, what could they con- contribute to society? You know, uh, children don't have many accomplishments, life accomplishments to boast in. Children are naturally humble. You know, children uh, don't have any ruling power. Right? Children are dependent upon others to care for them. You know, children lack or children don't have any, uh, you know, they can't point to certain things. They don't really have any life skills at that point in their life. They're, they're, they're examples of what true humility looks like. They're unassuming in many ways. So Jesus here takes the child. He, he brings the child before the disciples to give them a real-life illustration of what humility looks like. This is what humility looks like. It is, it, is, it is like this child before you. And if you compare the Gospel of Mark, this account here, with the Gospel of, of Matthew, the same account, you see that Jesus, Jesus applied this lesson with the child in two separate ways. First of all, Jesus applied this lesson in the area of salvation. Not here in Mark, but in the Gospel of Matthew. You don't have to turn there. I'll read the verse for you. Matthew 18, verse 3 says, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that only children can be saved? Is Jesus saying that I have to rewind time and become a child in order to be converted and enter into his kingdom and become a child of God? Clearly, that's not what he's saying. Jesus here is speaking to the fact that, again, if you are going to get saved, you must come with childlike humility. You can knock down your pride. Be humble before God. It is pride that keeps most people from getting saved. There are people, again, that I have witnessed to, again, and they will not. You take them through the good person test. Take them through the commandments, and they will not admit that they're a sinner. I mean, that's the first step, folks. That's the first step in salvation is saying, I am a sinner before God. I have violated the law of God. Again, I am a, again, I am a lawbreaker. Again, I deserve death because of my sin against God. That's humility. Well, so many people don't even get to that place because they're too proud to admit that. There's others who have the have the mentality of, you know, well, I'm going to I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way to God. I'm gonna again I'm a good person. I'm an upstanding person. I'm a uh, I treat my neighbors well. I'm a good citizen. I pay my taxes. I I'm a religious person. Therefore, God surely will let me into heaven because of that. Then what is that? That's pride. You can't do anything to get yourself to heaven. And there is no self-effort that you can do. There is no, again, moral virtue that you have that's going to get you into heaven. So our righteous works are still be rags in the sight of the Holy God. We need the righteousness of another. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to our accounts. And that is what happens when we, with childlike faith and humility, come before God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God gives us his righteousness. He credits it to our accounts. So we see here we are to be humble like a child in the area of salvation. 
Again, most people, you look at statistics, most people get saved as children. As as people age, as people progress, again, although someone can get saved at any age, um, it does become less likely. But we also see here humility in the area of service. Take a look at Mark 9.37. Jesus says, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So Jesus says here, you receive one of these little ones. You receive one of these that is, that is the least esteemed among you. You treat them kindly. You serve them. You care for them. And guess what you're actually doing? Yes, you're serving the least of these amongst us. But you're actually, if you do it in the name of Christ, you're actually doing it. You're actually serving God. You're serving Christ, the Son of God. You're serving God the Father as well. Do you realize that? Do you recognize the fact that whenever we serve the least amongst us, we're actually serving Jesus Christ? How we treat the least amongst us is how we treat the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we're not careful, we might we may find ourselves, you know, treating uh, those well or serving those around us who we know can pay us in return. You know, we have a we have a rich neighbor, and you know, we're gonna make him cookies because maybe he'll you know give us part of the inheritance. You know, and we may not do that. It's just a silly example, but again, that's often our mentality. We serve those who can serve us in return. What about those who can't serve us in return? What about those who can't repay us in any way? That is what Jesus is speaking of here. The least amongst us. The ones who cannot repay you. The ones where your service is going to go unnoticed by the world. It's going to go unnoticed by those around you. But it is seen clearly by God. And it is a blessing to that other person. And it glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to serve those people? Are you willing to serve the least among us? Are you willing to serve the weakest of the flock? Are you willing to serve the lowest of Christ's flock? Let's continue on, though. We find here a selfish lack of humility in verses 38 through 40. Uh, Verse 38, the Bible says, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which will do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. So we find here John the Apostle, and he responds to Christ in the illustration that is given by reminding him of an incident that him and the other disciples had where they they come across a man, and this man is casting out demons um, in the name of Christ. And what do they do? They forbid him. What are you doing? You're not part of our group. You know, again, we're the apostles over here. Christ has given us authority to do this. Who are you? You know, stop that. You know, stop, stop what you're doing. The Bible says they forbade him. Why? Not because he was a false teacher. No, they forbade him simply because of the fact that he was not part of them. He didn't follow them. He didn't follow, not Jesus, he didn't follow their little group. And therefore they forbade him. And what is this? We see, again, a lack of humility. We see pride within the hearts of the apostles. Let's continue on, though. We also see verse 41. And again, don't miss this point right here. This is very important. And that is the spiritual reward for humility. Verse 41 says this. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, 
Because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Jesus makes it clear here that true service to him is not, again, is, is often as simple as giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, so often we want the, we, we want the spectacular, we want the extraordinary, we want the, the out-of-this-world service uh, to Christ. But Jesus says here, no, you want to serve me? Give a cup of cold water in my name to a fellow disciple, and you won't lose your reward. Now, our service to Christ often looks like ministering to the least of these. It often looks like what we find here, giving a cup of cold water to drink in the name of Jesus Christ. And we find here that the emphasis in service to Christ is not on the out in the open, not in the spectacular, not on the, again, what, what we would see as, as something that is big. But usually most of our service to Jesus Christ is often quiet. It's often behind the scenes. It's often unnoticed except by God and to those that you minister to. That is true service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Small acts of kindness done in the name of Jesus Christ to be a blessing to a fellow Christian and for the glory of God. God is honored. God God is exalted in that. The disciples have their minds on things that are big. You know, they're, they're thinking kingdom. They're thinking position. They're thinking prominence. But Jesus says, be content with being a little person, serving little people, doing little acts again and again and again in the name of Jesus Christ. And you will not lose your reward. Some people think, well, I can't serve Jesus because I'm not talented. Can you give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus? You know, can you bake a meal for somebody in need and deliver it to them? Can you pray for somebody? Can you visit a shut-in? Can you clean a church? You know, can you go and, and, and help a, a widow or a widower uh, you know, shovel out their driveway when this, whenever it snows? Most somebody's grass. Can you do things like that? Most of us can do things like that, if not all of us. And we find here that Jesus reminds us that service to Christ often doesn't look spectacular and out in the open. It's often simple acts of kindness. Saying again, there's a brother in need. I'm going to go help that brother. And you may, nobody else in the world may ever know that that was done. There's a God in heaven who knows. And that shouldn't matter whether anyone else knows or not. But there's a God in heaven who knows. And God says, you serve me in that way. And I will reward you, disciple of Christ. I will reward you whenever you uh, depart out of this life and come to be with me. Again, are you willing to live in such a way? Adil Moody once said this. He said, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do the little things. You know, there's a lot of people who are saying, yes, sign me up for the great things, the big things, the out in the open things. Well, what if Jesus tells you to vacuum the floor? You know, what, what, if, what if Jesus tells you to, uh, you know, to, to care for your children? What if Jesus tells you to mow your grass or your neighbor's grass, you know, to be a, to be a blessing? What if Jesus tells you to do something that's, that looks little? Are you willing to do that? Oh, sign me up for the great things. The things where everybody will see me. What about the behind the scenes things? What about the small things? And what about, uh, what about the things that have been mentioned? 
And are you willing to do these things, the small things, give a cup of cold water and drink in the name of Christ? Are you willing to do that? In closing this morning, I have uh, uh, really just a couple of thoughts and we'll be done this morning. First of all, uh, I just want to say, again, this hasn't been a a salvation message at all. But if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life whenever you have repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, then let me challenge you. Let me plead with you. Let me urge you to do that today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. None of us know whenever our last day is going to be. The Bible says this life is a favor which appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Tragically, many people spend their lives neglecting, again, investing in in physical things, material things, but neglecting spiritual things. Neglecting their soul and the state of their soul. And where their soul is going to spend eternity, whether in heaven or whether in hell. But the Bible says this, what shall a prophet of man gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Your soul is the most precious thing you have. And don't forsake it. Again, don't neglect it. Don't neglect the things of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, you have broken the law of God. Yes, you deserve hell because of your sin. But there is a good God in heaven who took on flesh, who humbled himself, condescended to us. He lived a perfect life, a life we could never live. And he died a sacrificial death, the death you and I deserve to die. Why? For us. That three days later he rose again from the grave, defeating and conquering death. So that all those who repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone can have the gift of eternal life. Has there ever been a time in your life when you have come with childlike faith and humility before God? Jesus made it clear. You don't come with childlike faith. Again, you're not ready to be saved. You don't come with childlike humility. You're not ready to be saved. Again, if you won't even admit that you need salvation or that you're a sinner, again, you're not, you're not there yet. I want to talk to those of you who, again, you say, yes, I, I do know that I'm saved. I'm, I'm born again. I, um, again, there's been a, there was a time in my life when I you know, was, was uh, delivered from sin, delivered from darkness. And I was brought into the family of God you know, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this, the believer. What is your measuring stick for true greatness? Is it how the world measures greatness? Oh, if I just have that position, I'll be great. If I just have those possessions, I'll be great. You know, if if other people just notice me, I'll be great. And remember my name, I'll be great. Is that how you're measuring greatness? And I need to be on top. Everybody else needs to be below. I need to be in the spotlight. Is that how you measure greatness? And I hope not. Do you measure greatness how the world measures it, or do you measure greatness the way that Jesus Christ measures greatness? Serving others, putting yourself last, becoming a servant to all men. You know, I think that whenever we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of rewards that are reserved for uh, people that, that we didn't even expect. You know, Christians that nobody knew their name, they, they, but they faithfully serve the Lord. Behind the scenes, they never received a plaque for it. You know, they, they never received the applause of men for it. But they just did little little service, one little act of service after another little act of service again and again and again. And their, their whole life was full of service to Christ and service to others. And although they were unnoticed by those around them, they will be rewarded in that day. 
They will be greatly rewarded in that day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close this morning with a quote by J.C. Ryle. He says this, and I quote, he says, The world's idea of greatness is to rule. But But Christian greatness consists in serving. The world's ambition is to receive honor and attention. But the desire of the Christian should be to give rather than receive. And to attend on others rather than to be attended on himself. In short, the man who lays himself out most to serve his fellow men and to be useful in his day and generation is the greatest man in the eyes of Christ. And can you say that that is, you, that, that is what you're striving for this morning? And who cares about what the world thinks? Who cares about the world's accolades? They're going to all pass away anyways. What matters is that which is eternal. What matters is did I live my life for Jesus Christ? Did I live my life and serving others. Again, it doesn't have to be anything big. Giving a cup of cold water in the name of Christ. You know, doing some kind deed for, for a fellow believer, for a neighbor, for somebody that you know. And are you willing to live a life like that? Are you willing to place yourself last instead of first? Are you willing to, you know, uh, serve Christ behind the scenes where nobody notices? Instead of trying to put yourself in the front so others applaud you and, and, and uh, give, pour upon you accolades? Are you willing to serve Christ? Are you, again, are you willing to be great in his kingdom? Let me close with verse 35 again. Jesus said, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last and servant. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we can pray that you would bless and be with, Lord, the response to your word this morning. God, I thank you for the strength you've given me to be able to preach this morning. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would be honored, Lord, in our response to your word. I pray, God, that we would remember Lord, that true worship always involves a response. God, I pray that we would not merely be hearers of the word of God, but that we would be doers of the word of God. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, that has never repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray today would be that day, Lord. God, when they would be born again by the spirit of God. Lord, when they would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Lord, when they would be saved and justified and delivered from sin once and for all. Father God, I do pray, Lord, that if there's any that that are lost here this morning, God, that today would be the day of salvation. God, I pray for the saved here this morning. God, I pray that you would use the truth we have heard. And Lord, I pray you would just, Lord, just sink it down deep into hearts this morning. God, I pray that we would see the seriousness, Lord, of this uh, very, very basic but foundational, uh, or just a truth of discipleship, Father. If we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, that bring you honor and that bring you glory. God, we must not be about power, position, prominence, popularity. God, we must be about service. And Lord, the world may may ignore us. The world may, Lord, uh, or never see what we're doing, and that's fine. We don't we don't look for that, Father. I pray, God, that we serve. We're just uh, for an audience of one Lord, and that is You. And Lord, that Lord, as we serve You, that we would look around and that we would find ways to serve others. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't buy into the trap that somehow if it's not uh, just has some wow factor or spectacular or that we're not serving. I pray we'd realize, God, that it's, it's usually the simple things Lord, that count as true acts of service to Jesus Christ and others. God, use your word this morning. I pray that, Lord, we would seek true greatness. I pray we would seek to be last of all and servants to those around us. Lord, for the glory of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.